Hello and welcome to this In The Zone podcast focusing on the bioanalyst challenges and solutions. I'm your host, Alex Hyde, editor of Bioanalysis Zone. And today I'm delighted to be joined by three senior scientists from Alturas Analytics, Catherine Yava, Chad Christensen, and Michael Williams. Today we'll be exploring a range of challenges encountered by the modern bioanalysts and the solutions with which we can begin to address them. So hi everyone, thank you very much for joining me today. Firstly, could you please begin uh, by introducing yourselves and your work? Well, thanks for having us today, Alex. Um, we are bio, we are bioanalysts working for Alturas Analytics, as you mentioned previously, um, and we focus on the development of bioanalytical assays. Uh, particularly, we work with analytes that may be a little bit more difficult to extract from their matrix and then develop methods for. Uh, so we focus on meeting those challenges in the laboratory uh, and going all the way from you know matrix to a validated assay uh, that can stand up under GLP requirements. And I'm joined here today um, between the three of us, I have my colleague Chad and Mike. Uh, between the three of us, we have 25 years or so of experience working in bioanaly- bioanalysis and uh, facing the challenges of getting our analytes into good methods to produce good data. So it's fair to say that you've uh, experienced your fair share of challenges uh, in the bioanalysis field then. Sensitivity, selectivity, and sample preparation time are commonly brought up as challenges in the field of bioanalysis. If these kind of problems aren't addressed, what impact can these have on the progress and outcome of a project? Those three things are really important um, in uh, any project that we uh, take on here at Alturas. Um, just addressing them individually, you know, sensitivity, um, that can really be important, um, especially when samples are administered in a way that uh, requires a, a really low detection limit. Um, for example, uh, dermal patches uh, and the sort. Um, so if those aren't addressed, obviously, um, we aren't able to detect a drug um, at, in those lower ranges. Um, and, uh, and not able to get really good quantification. Um, so we may need to try different platforms. Um, we may need to get a little bit creative to uh, get uh, decent sensitivity. You know, selectivity can be really important when we're um, encountering compounds that are very similar to the analyte of interest. Um, for example, there's a lot of um, compounds of interest that we're looking at that may be similar to uh, endogenous compounds so we need to um, make sure that we're, you know, using appropriate uh, mass overcharge transitions and things like that to uh, improve selectivity. And then when it comes to sample preparation time, of course, you know, we're a bioanalytical lab. Uh, we're trying to, you know, produce results and we're trying to do it quickly. Um, so anything we can do to re- reduce uh, the amount of sample preparation time that is needed um, not only benefits us, but also our clients. Uh, so those are all really important things to address. And obviously, um, not only can it impact the bottom line, but also the quality of our data. We, we try to be as creative as possible with the solutions that we look at, uh, as Mike mentioned, from trying different platforms. We've recently spent quite a bit of time investing in and uh, improving our techniques using microflow. Uh, technology to try and increase those LLOQs so that we can really capture the low end of those PK curves when our clients request them. 
Um, we try to get as creative as possible when it comes to using different types of chromatography. So unique columns, different combinations of mobile phases uh, to, to make sure that, you know, we don't look at bioanalysis as a one size fits all uh, technique. We want to really tailor our methods to meet whatever the specific challenges are of the analyte that we're working with. Uh, here at, here at Alturas Analytics, we, we specialize in assays that other labs can't do. So we really think outside the box to, you know, have solutions to generating better data and data that can be you know, FDA ready in support of these these clinical trials. So in terms, so you mentioned these kind of solutions. Uh, so to address these challenges, can you give specific examples of solutions that you have implemented to overcome issues with sensitivity and selectivity? That's a great question. When you, when you discuss selectivity and sensitivity, it really st starts out with your sample preparation. You need to really work on your sample preparation to get the cleanest sample possible to inject on your mass spec. And you also want to increase your recovery, and that's gonna help out with your sensitivity. So moving from a, a typical, let's see natural crash to an SBE method, you know, ion exchange method, or C18 method, something that's going to really clean up your sample is really helpful. Another key is if you're doing large molecules is doing some type of amino capture. And with immunocapture, capture, you're going to, you know, you're going to re retain your large molecule of interest and get rid of all other proteins and, and other compounds that are going to interfere with your, your peptide. So that is very, very key in your selectivity and sensitivity. And also, of course, your mass spec platform is very important. Using the most sensitive mass spec platform available is also very key. So here at Alturas, we have multiple 6500 pluses, which is the most sensitive mass spec commercially available. And then when you start going to looking at really selectivity, sensitivity with uh, your LC program, microflow is definitely a very, a very uh, strong candidate for increasing, increasing your, your sensitivity. You can get you know, up to a tenfold increase in sensitivity just by decreasing your flow rate from 700 microliters a minute down to 10 microliters a minute. So that's very important. Um, so these are, you know, very, very important things to do for your selectivity and sensitivity. And making sure that you have good LC separations, you don't have ion suppression, ion enhancement, and making sure that you have very selective transitions is also important. And then just to take, you know, a complete other approach from all of the techniques that Chad's talking about. Um, we've also done quite a bit of work um, using a GC platform, you know, talking about a lot of these um, maybe volatile uh, prodrug or their metabolites. We've had a lot of success by moving over to the GC um, because it lends itself very well to derivatization of compounds. Um, and this is another way that we're able to really boost sensitivity and selectivity, getting great signal out of those derivatized compounds. Um, the other thing that works really well with GC analysis, uh, with Chad talking about making sure you have a clean sample, if you look at headspace analysis, you know, because those uh, compounds have already been volatilized into the gas form, it makes a very clean injection, which allows for a very clean signal free from interference from dirty samples. So that's another really key area that we've developed methods, run them and analyzed thousands of clinical samples using GC as a platform. I see. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, so you mentioned earlier that uh, you're a bioanalysis lab. So when you're um, maybe doing this work for clients, and in this case, uh, internal standard selection and sample preparation times can prove to be a significant challenge, especially if you're working to deadlines. Um, when it, this is the case, what kind of solutions have you used to overcome this? That's a great question. Internal standard selection is, is one of the most important you know, factors you can, you can use when you want to get accurate data. And so really with internal standard, you want to have a stable label, of course. Now, when you're talking about large molecules, sometimes that's not possible due to the cost. And so the best thing to do is if you can get your large molecule labeled, you know, that might, might cost you $10,000, but it's definitely worth it. That way the internal standard can go through the entire preparation process. The second best thing you can do is you can actually get your, your digested peptide, whatever that sequence is, you get that labeled. That's significantly cheaper and it's still, it will still take care of any suppression you might have in the mass spec because it's the same, you know, it matches your, your, your signature peptide exactly. But it doesn't go through the, the steps of digestion and, and the rest of the, the large molecule preparation. So it, it doesn't act as good as an internal standard as you'd hope, but it, does, it is better than just some analog that you pick randomly. In the sample preparation, um, part of it. Large molecule sample preparation can take hours and hours and hours. We have some assays where the digestion time is over 24 hours. And when you get into times that long, it makes it so you can only prep four days a week, unless you're going to work, you know, have a, a six or seven day work day. So what's really key is to verify that you have the optimum digestion time. And so that we spend extra, extra amount of time to, to verify that does this thing really need 24 hours of digestion? Can we get away with you know, two hours, four hours, six hours? There's also um, other technology that's becoming available now where you can have a, a membrane immobilized trypsin in a plate that can reduce your digestion time from hours to minutes. Also, the use of robotics whenever possible, that really, really helps. You could do 90, you could prep 96 wells at once instead of doing individual wells with your, especially the immunocapture. You know, we've, we've analyzed thousands and thousands of clinical samples with immunocapture using robotics and it is accurate and precise. And we can't, we couldn't get that from doing it by hand with the immunocapture. Um, so it really, really helps having robotics. Another thing that's available is immunocapture is available on tips. So you could actually have a robot do all of the immunocapture steps for you, which really is more accurate, precise, and it's automated. So you can hit a button and walk away and come back and, and finish it later. Yeah, it is really, it's really interesting to see how automation can um, change things up and provide solutions to problems that may have been uh, around for quite a long time. Um, to change the subject slightly, when working on phase one studies, what kind of challenges uh, can and does extremely rapid metabolism of a primary drug present? Metabolism uh, can, be, can have a really big impact on, uh, on the drug of interest. Um, you know, sometimes uh, what we've seen is we'll be trying to analyze a compound and we'll get um, you know, all these samples coming in uh, lower than the limit of quantification, um, which presents a problem when we're trying to establish a really good PK curve. 
Um, and so, uh, in a particular case that I'm thinking of, you know, a client took a look at what was going on and, the, and they found out that their drug was just being metabolized uh, really quickly. And they did some, uh, you know, investigation to find out what pathways um, uh, may be uh, impacting their drug and, and how it may be being metabolized. And they came up with a, a subset of metabolites that would give them a really good baseline of what's happening with the drug. And, um, and so what we did is we took those um, metabolites that they were able to synthesize and send us uh, standards of, and we created a multi-analyte um, analysis that would analyze the metabolites along with the primary drug uh, so that we can get a really good picture of what's going on with this drug once it's uh, administered into the system. You know, so one thing that's really important is to understand, you know, what is the pathway, uh, the metabolic pathway that's uh, impacting uh, your drug and, and uh, maybe, you know, how is the metabolism occurring? Um, and one thing you want to look at um, before you get into all that also, you might look at pro-drug, you know, trying to stabilize the pro-drug initially and arresting that metabolism um, right off the bat, uh, either by some sort of additive that limits the uh, metabolic activity or, um, or possibly lowering temperature really quickly. Uh, there's a few different approaches you can take. Um, at that point, if, if that's not feasible, then you get into this, uh, you know, analyzing several metabolites, um, which can create a whole bunch of problems by itself because you're looking at, you know, are all these metabolites soluble um, in the same uh, solvent? Uh, are all these metabolites um, going to be able to go through the same sort of chromatographic um, separation, be able to use the same working solutions, same um, or same mobile phase solutions? Um, are they all going to be stable in the same um, environment? And so those are all important questions to address, uh, as well as, um, you know, then you've got to take each metabolite, you've got to treat it individually um, as its own, uh, you know, um, entity, and then you bring them all together, uh, to try and separate them chromatographically. And you might need to separate them into subgroups, depending on the number of metabolites you have. In this case, we had, I think nine. And so we separated them into two different groups, um, which, uh, was like maybe four in one group and five in another, and then, um, took a slightly different approach in the sample preparation and a slightly different approach chromatographically so that we could separate all those compounds out. Because you know, a lot of times you're gonna be encountering um, compounds that are isomeric or isobaric, and uh, that, that creates uh, some challenges in separating things. So you're gonna to wanna to use different columns, different mobile phases, um, and just be really creative in your, in your approach to how you're going to not only analyze each uh, individual metabolite and the prodrug, but also um, how you're going to analyze, um, how you're going to uh, separate them um, on the instrument and get nice selectivity and sensitivity for each compound. So it can create a lot of challenges, but if you, you know, approach it um, kind of in a stepwise manner, then uh, you can have, we've been able to at least have really great success in the analyzing multiple analytes at the same time. Okay, yeah, so you mentioned that once you've gone through uh, method development for the anal 
for the analysis of a primary drug and several numbers of, of metabolites um, leading to a large number of analytes that once the method is established um, the most difficult hurdle becomes the stability so what kind of modifications have you implemented uh, specifically to solve issues with uh, analyte stability well that as you mentioned is a very huge factor in developing a successful assay and i would say that uh, one of the key elements of addressing stability comes to communicating very clearly with the collection facility or the, you know, whether that be an in-light facility or a clinical facility, exactly what measures they need to take to stabilize the, the sample when it's collected. So Mike and Chad both mentioned that some of the techniques we would use to stabilize compounds would be changing the pH, either through addition of acid or base, uh, we look at using different anticoagulants. Some of the more well-known esterase inhibitor coagulants work very well if uh, esterase activity is a factor in the breakdown of your analyte. Uh, we look a lot uh, at different additives uh, that are just you know, well-known enzyme inhibitors. So whatever it is that you need to add to that sample, it's critical that you communicate that to whoever is going to be collecting the samples so that what we do in the lab, the method that we've validated in the lab, mimics what's happening to the actual samples that are collected in the in-life facility. And so we try to be very proactive in determining what methods or what measures need to be taken to promote stability and making sure that we communicate that clearly so that when the studies are run, we're sure that the samples are stable when they're in our hands. Um, the last thing or another thing that's worth mentioning, sometimes in promoting stability comes down to something as simple as just keeping the temperature of that sample under control. So if a, a drug is very unstable, um, we found sometimes that just working with it on ice, reducing the number of freeze thaws, and trying to just quickly process that sample, perhaps by always working with small batches. Um, in, a, you know, in a scenario where an analyte is very unstable, some of these kinds of approaches uh, can be very helpful to getting the data that our clients need. Great. Uh, well, thank you very much, Catherine, Chad and Michael, for your time today and um, for some really insightful answers and helpful solutions uh, to some pressing problems. And thank you to our audience for listening. Uh, remember, you can always find more resources for the bioanalyst challenges and solutions in our latest In The Zone at www.bioanalysis-zone.com.